0: Hello, book lover. It's me, Ed Fortune, and it's just me and producer Al. Hello. Uh, welcome to the Big you're listening to 5 Radio International.com. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you're not tuning in and listening to the podcast, thank you for podcasting in, or however you say that. So this is a bit of a special show because we're just going to do some highlights of the last year's worth of cool stuff, and obviously the cool stuff's the interviews. So we'll, we'll get on to that shortly.
1: the world twenty-four hours a day. This is International.
0: So let's let's take a look at the owner view, shall we? Okay. Uh, very quickly. Um, what was the biggest news story in the book world? Could it have been... Could uh, it have
2: been uh, Am- Amazon? It's oh, a little bookseller.
0: There was a thing with Amazon, wasn't there? And, and who was it? Was oh, it Hachette? Hachette. Yeah.
2: That, that, or Hachette, that. depending on where you're sitting on the pronunciation fence. I think it's Hachette. Uh, they kissed and made up in the end.
0: Well, the, the, the wedding's next Tuesday, I Believe. Or maybe not. Um, uh. There's an entire conversation to be had about Dio What's and,
2: your um, personal highlight?
0: My... Personal highlight. Ooh, um, Worldcon. Shocking. Uh, Worldcon would have to be our personal highlight. Uh, meeting Robin Hobb was a massive highlight. Meeting George Orwell Martin was a massive highlight. Strangely enough, uh, we're going to do some interviews. Those aren't the ones on there because you can always go back to the original recording of the show and catch our interviews mm-hmm. with George yeah. Robert Martin and Robin Hobb. I actually, one of the interviews we've got coming up um, with the Jane Eyre Girls, yeah. I really, really liked.
2: What was your personal highlight? Um, I, I really enjoyed Nine Worlds. Um, that was great fun. Um, I have to say, there was a moment because you went to Worldcon on your own and you recorded the George R. R. R Martin thing and then out of sheer paranoia you uploaded the um, audio file of George R, R. R. Martin to everywhere um we have like a little secret bit on facebook uh, and obviously we have a little cloud storage um and you uploaded the george R. L. martin interview raw unedited really quickly and i sat in my office at my day job at, like 200 miles away from london listening to the george R. L. martin interview and all the stuff at the start um and just like had this massive moment of oh my word because i'd known that it was happening and i'd known you were going to interview him um and we'd been at Nine Worlds the week before, and they were talking about so, what, you know, what cool things have you got coming up in your show? And we couldn't say because there was always that slight chance that it wouldn't come off. And I sat there in my lunch hour at my office listening to this thing, just absolutely combusting, and also marvelling at how technology is fantastic in the 21st century. But yeah, but The Girls from Jane Eyre was also really good. I mean, it's... And the bit where I met the guy who draws for the Beano. Oh, he was fantastic. Oh, we fantastic. have to
0: get him on the show as well at some point. Um, we've had a very wild ride. <laughs> it's been a very geeky wild ride, but we've had a fantastic fun over the last year. And it's been an absolute pleasure. And it's it's you, it's the people listening to the show. Thank you to Starburst Magazine for sponsoring us on this quest of madness. Thank you to Fab Radio International. Lots of th- thanks to Mike Royce and Paul Ripley. Who've been absolutely fantastic, and the the next year we've got. Coming and up. and
2: thank you to uh, Nympha for for turning up and abandoning her husband and her kid every week, most weeks. Thank you to the entire crew. To be yeah, honest. to oh. Sai and Dell and and Russ.
0: They've all been absolutely fantastic, and the following year, the twenty fifteen is going to be even better. Um, so thank you, listener, and um, remember to subscribe, <laughs> like, comment on our iTunes. Please comment on our iTunes. It really helps us out if you do that. Um, And just uh, thank you for just generally being awesome. So, um, yes, shall we talk about the interviews? Let's
2: talk about the interviews. So,
0: so we've got Gil... Yeah, okay. So, so we've got Gil (laughs) Carrier. Yeah. um, Who we met at Nine Worlds.
2: Yes, we did.
0: uh, With interesting hats. Good hats. Good
2: hats. Mm. Uh,
0: Nessa Araf and Alison
2: Hall. From uh, the autobiography of Jane Eyre
0: who were absolutely charming. And I think they'd probably prefer
2: it right now if we called them Calamity Productions. Are they Calamity They're Calamity, T-E-A, yes.
0: It's an old interview, so we won't be talking about the, the next... The exciting next, next in, project, yes. But their exciting next product, pro- project is exciting. Um, I'm going to apologise in advance for the quality of the Francis Harding interview because this, again, this is a show highlight. This was an interview done on World Book Day in April um, in, in a broom cupboard. And you'll be able to tell it from the quality.
1: Across the world, the real alternative Fab Radio International.com. So,
0: uh, interview with one of the show's earliest, earliest guests, the absolutely lovely
1: Gail Carragher. This is Fab Radio International. This is
0: Fab Radio International.
1: International. Fab Radio
0: International. International. Okay, so today on the show we have Gail Carragher. Say hello.
1: Hello.
0: Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it yourself, please?
3: Um. All right. My name is Gail Carriger, and I write very silly steampunk comedy of manners for adults and younger adults, and the occasional foray into science fiction. And I think that's pretty much it.
0: And I understand you have a Kickstarter call for Crud rat. Um that's What
3: foray into science fiction?
0: What can you tell us about it?
3: Well, I'm very pleased that we, we just officially got funded, but. We have lots of exciting church goals, so hopefully people will still be interested in contributing. And it is my little baby steps into science fiction. Um, and it's sort of, it's, it's basically the young adult sci fi that I wish I had been able to read when I was a young lady. So.
0: And um, what's the plot? What's it about?
3: It's about a girl who's an outcast on a space station, and in this particular far future, they use children for child labor, very similarly to the way you might use uh, child labor at the Industrial Re- Revolution in England and the cotton mills and things like that. And so they use her for as she's one of these crud rats, these cleaners on a space station. And uh, the book begins when she sort of officially gets too big. She outgrows her job, and uh, as a result of that, they're considering expelling her from the space station, and she would die, of course. And so she goes on an adventure to save herself, and in the process, ends up getting involved with various fuzzy aliens and things like
0: that. Why the deport? I'll say again. Why the departure from? Um... Comedy steampunk to aimed at adults to young adult focused sci-fi.
3: Well, I I love young adult literature. It's my favorite to read, and I also really love space opera and other kind of hard sci-fi as well. And yet, it took me when I was a kid. It took me a really long time to learn to love science fiction. I felt like there wasn't a, a real entry for me as a young female reader and so i decided i would write that book myself and then i also was writing the parasol protectorate series at the same time and that series kind of took off and so this one got a little bit left behind and i just i missed it and i wanted to to bring it to life and rediscover it and i felt like kickstarter and an audiobook was a really good way to sort of introduce it to people um in, in a manner that, that I would have loved to have had it as a kid, because I was a, a
0: big fan of audiobooks when I was a child. The, 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 the main premise of the story seems very much uh, almost Victorian chimney st- The main premise of the book seems very much a Victorian chimney sweep style uh, affair. How much does, um, obviously, your, your knowledge of history and your knowledge of steampunk affect this project?
3: quite a bit in fact there's a lot of aspects of the alien culture that I'm drawing on um, ancient civilizations and definitely some of the I'm interested in sort of regression and fashion and things like that so even though this is a far future book some of the clothing has kind of Victorian influences on it and you picked up on something which I'm only just now realizing which is I suspect this book probably owes a little bit to the water babies because of that kind of chimney sweep um, outcast dirty child discovering themselves in this kind of new alternative space model and I didn't even realize I was drawing on it but I guess I was Good
0: question what would you say the central themes of could that are
3: I think it's it's a pretty classic young adult book in that it's a, a voyage of self-discovery but and and how sort of Finding your place in in the universe in this case, but it's also an exploration of the skills that someone can develop um, that that then can be utilized in a different context. In other words, like the, the abilities or, or the natural abilities that a uh, a person might have, which which could be applied in a different context if you just. Ex- just think outside of your own world view.
0: Um, what would you say the biggest influence on Prudrat is? I mean, You mentioned the Water Babies. What, what would you say the biggest influence is on the book? Oh, God. it's a really
3: hard question. I would say it's probably a lot of kind of the classic tough girl fantasies that mm-hmm. I read myself. So, uh, Tamara Pierce for, is a good example. I know she's not all that popular in the UK, but she's huge, hugely formative on me. And essentially, she writes classic medieval fantasies, but uh, starring very strong, very tough young women. And I really wanted to write a book like that, only a science fiction exploration of that.
0: My co-host on the uh, the radio show keeps trying to get me to read to my own piece, actually. It's not at the time yet.
4: Um
5: You're so, You're so
0: The project will be a uh, full cast audio. It's just, it's just been funded, yeah. so it's going to be a full cast audio. Why do you feel it needs to be produced that way rather than as a book or in other formats? Well, I...
3: I was raised without television, and so a lot of my childhood was spent listening to audiobooks. I, I pretty much listen to books on tape. My, I still do. I still love that, that medium. And so almost everything I write is meant to be read out loud. I kind of hear it out loud, and I always read all my books out loud to myself. And I, I have a, a, a strong kind of casual voice that I think really lends itself to audio consumption. So that, that was one of the reasons. And then another reason is I love the vibrancy of full cast. I, I love hearing different voices and different people's interpretations rather than just one narrator. Not that a single narrator can't be a, a marvelous way, but I think her in particular would really lend itself to multiple different voices and a musical score. And uh, And Dan, my producer, was super, super excited to go ahead and do that and he's really good at it so we just decided to give it a
0: try as a Kickstarter what other things would you like to see it produced as uh, are there plans to produce it in any other media, media format
3: well some of the goals for the Kickstarter are in as an ebook format and as a limited um, exclusive print run hardback <laughs> so but currently I have no particular plans to do anything wrong well with it if people really love it as an book and are really really enthusiastic about it. It's possible that uh, a publisher might get excited about it and pick it up and publish it or it's possible that I might even go ahead and do it myself but I have a really tough series of deadlines to make just for my regular as a regular writing schedule and so self-publishing is, is quite time consuming so I wouldn't have to you know build that into my schedule So currently no particular plans to do that.
0: you're you're primarily known as a um, steampunk writer Um, where do you stand on the future of steampunk and it's growth because there seems to be large factions as it becomes a larger and a larger audience you have lots of different you have people who take it terribly terribly seriously and then (laughs) you you have people like Labi Tidar who talk about it being fascism for nice people and then you have people like Dr Jeff who are all about cake gags and silliness and daftness and you know, tea, ge- tea gags mostly. Yep. Um, where do you see it going, and where do you see yourself fitting as the uh, as the subculture grows?
3: Well, I think any any subculture or any aesthetic movement, as it gets bigger and bigger, naturally factions. Unfortunately, I think that's kind of the nature of, of humanity. Um, I am one of those people who my favorite things about steampunk are the whimsical aspect and the kind of reinvention of etiquette and politeness and people being kind to each other and the, the intellectual salon side of it where people are sharing ideas and they're sharing their skills and they're teaching each other how to make amazing, ridiculous, crazy objects and costumes. So. Personally, I would love to see that side of steampunk dominate.
0: If you were stranded on a desert island and you had to bring one book with you, um, what would it be?
3: It would be... Uh, shoot. You didn't ask the series. I know what series I would bring with me. The, <laughs> one, book I would, the one book I would bring with me is probably The Forgotten Beasts of Eld* by Patricia McKellar.
0: Um. And what sort of things? What sort of things influence you? What sort of things do you know? Do you need in your life to inspire you?
3: Stand-up comedy, uh, podcasts, <laughs> um, uh, fashion blogs. What else do I need to inspire me? Food, different food, crazy cuisines, traveling, um, my friends. And just like hanging out in big groups and conversations, so conventions—either hanging out with other writers or hanging out in the speaking punk community or my fans—I think I'm a terrible miner of of ideas that are developed in communities. Um, and yeah, and I, anything funny.
1: Embrace the alternative.
0: This, this
1: is Fab International.
0: And that was Gail Carrigan. She was completely lovely. Next, coming up, uh, myself and producer Al got to talk to Nessa
1: O.F. and Alison Hall. This is Fab Radio International.
0: International. Uh, Welcome to the bookworm, Nessa and Alison. Say hello. Hello.
3: Um,
6: I'm Nessa, and I'm the showrunner and co-creator, one of the writers, and the director for the autobiography of Jane
5: And I'm Alison, and I uh, play Jane. I also do some writing, some social media, some props, helping out here or there. I'm just, just helpful. <laughs> she wears a lot of hats. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit about the autobiography of Jane Eyre?
6: Well, the autobiography of Jane Eyre is a modernized web series version of Charlotte Bronte's classic novel, um, and we've been on the air since about April or year. Yeah, yeah, I
5: think in, uh, originally we posted our first episode in February. In February, yeah. And that was sort of a teaser kind of mm-hmm. first episode. And then it wasn't until March or April that our our properly first episode came
6: mm-hmm. back. And we're uh, transmedia, so we're both on YouTube as well as across various social media platforms. And, uh, you know, we have two episodes a week, so that's a little bit about us.
0: Why did you pick specifically Jane Eyre? Uh,
6: Well... That has to do with Alison more than another <laughs> She just reread the novel, um, and she
5: really enjoys the whole gossip, uh, gothic vibe. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, at the time, there were some really interesting things happening uh, on YouTube in terms of retelling um, Victorian novels and um, kind of adapting stories that we know very well from books and taking them to sort of the new internet age. So uh, I was reading Jane Eyre and I was interested to see whether it was possible at all to uh, transform that story into sort of a YouTube palatable, modern day, gothic, romantic, comedy, (laughs) drama story.
6: (laughs) How
0: heavily did the Lizzie Bennet Diaries influence your
6: work? I mean, we watched them, loved the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. Um, so we were definitely thinking of them as a springboard, but at the same time, we knew going into it that we just didn't want to copy everything that they did. We felt like it would be a better idea to just expand on the genre and make it our own. And obviously we are limited and in certain ways. And also we decided to you know, break open some different doors and do some different things. So um, yeah. yeah. And,
5: and Jane's a very different character, character than, than Lizzie is. So for us, it was saying, okay, so if Lizzie's this type of vlogger, let's see what Jane would be if she was vlogging. And her vlogs tended to look extremely different just yeah. in um, what kind of cameras she's going to use and how heavily she's going to edit them mm-hmm. and um, sort of what style she's going for.
0: Part of the gothic feel of Jane Eyre comes from it's the fact that it's set in England in the time that it's set, how do you move that? How do you keep that Gothic vibe and move it to Vancouver in the modern day?
6: It was funny when we were thinking about it. We were looking around Vancouver, and if you happen to get a picture of Vancouver today, you'll look outside, and it's been ridiculously foggy and just overcast and gray. And we've got such tall trees and such like beautiful, but also kind of creepy nature around us that um, it almost fits here naturally. Um, And in addition, it's just so the notions of space in this city are a little different. So it's not um, that far fetched to be as isolated as she felt up in uh, Thornfield uh, in the novel and to make that happen here in Vancouver. Um, And as far as just transporting that onto the screen, I mean, we've done certain things throughout the show. um, What with Jane's camera, just with filming at night and, you know trying to make that happen as
5: much as possible for the audience. Yeah, um, I mean, if you look at at Vancouver, it's um, a lot of juxtaposition, which we felt really matched the the gothic tone of the novel. Uh, In Vancouver, we have lots of very tall buildings, all made of glass, very stark, very uh, dark, very rich. And then contrasting that with all the nature we have here, we have huge forests, we have parks, and... um, during october november they can be very dark very mm. scary and uh, we felt that really matched sort of the tones they were going for in victorian england what with industrialization and kind of the romantic nature
4: period so
0: <laughs> it's i mean the story is 200 years old what's the appeal of such an old story and you know what challenges did that bring
6: i mean I say this more and more as we go on. Um, the character of Jane herself has not disappeared from, you know, our our world. I think looking at Tumblr, I realized uh, a lot of our viewers say, oh, I see myself in Jane. I see myself in Jane. I see, like, I see Jane in our viewers in a way. And I had prior to even starting Um, the show, it was just so easy to identify this person who is this strong woman, but who's changing, who's flawed, and who's like trying to get a grip on the world. At times feels a little lonely, and in the novel she doesn't really have any other way of reaching out other than writing this account of her life later on, whereas our Jane gets to talk about it in real time. and She doesn't write a novel, but she's sort of shouting into the void.
5: Yeah, we had a few people who asked, uh, well, Jane herself is so timid or so um i guess not not necessarily an outspoken person so why would she post a vlog of herself but we actually feel the opposite that she's so lonely that of course she would would reach out to people mm-hmm. she'd look for friends in different places she'd want to talk about her life and her struggles and and i mean the the book itself is uh, an autobiography so clearly the character does want to tell her story mm-hmm. in some capacity so yeah.
6: And in that same way, even though the narrative, especially the romantic narrative, isn't as well known or as replicated today, um, you know, it's almost a story that needs to be brought back and needs to be brought into our consciousness and into our sort of our social narratives in modern day. Um, If you look at the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, I think the writers at one point pointed out that. Pride and Prejudice is in the narrative, the overarching narrative of every romantic comedy ever. Boy meets girl, girl meets boy, they have some sort of misunderstanding, they hate each other, then they finally fall in love later on. Jane Eyre is a very different story. It's very much about two people who are very flawed and are trying to get their lives together, and they fall in love halfway through the story, but it's not just about falling in love, it's about
5: all the other stuff,
6: and, mm-hmm. and then some.
5: But... It's about understanding people that are complex, because people are not exactly what they seem. I mean, uh, you have Brocklehurst, who should be uh, the prestigious owner of a school who looks after the students and um, is very wealthy, so he can help out anyone under his care, but he doesn't. He doesn't follow that archetype. He's a hypocritical man. He is um, selfish and uses his money for himself. So, I mean, it really delves into at the time the hypocrisy of people are not always what they seem and that exists today just as as much as it did then mm.
0: the character's is quite cleverly adapted to the modern age how what was the most difficult part to to adapt and what was the easiest part to adapt
6: I mean we've sort of talked about how oftentimes when you're tackling at least for us in a, tackling this adaptation, you deal with the bigger plot points first because you know they're going to be a, a larger hurdle. And going through that, I mean, everyone sort of thought that the spoiler—I'm not hope I'm not spoiling anyone—but Bertha would be a more difficult thing to adapt. But we actually felt, especially in Vancouver, that it it was more not any more or less, but still very much relevant today. Um, and on top of it all, when you go through it, you deal with these big hurdles, but then you come through and you do the little things, and it's the little things that catch you Mm -hmm. it's like how do we get this person at this place Mm -hmm. or how do we get this person to see this at this time why would they be watching that what's going on here you know why is this set
5: on camera things like that how do we justify this lie or justify this truth or how do we make this sound like a lie but also match what is actually happening at the same time that becomes more complex uh for us it was always like We wouldn't even begin the project if we couldn't get past the big adaptation points. So from very early stages, we were talking how would we tackle mental illness as an issue? How do we keep the themes in Jane Eyre alive without alienating anyone or without um, stepping on anyone's toes, addressing them in a modern day, but with the same brave, brave, What am I looking for? (laughs) Bravery and and passion that Bronte did in her novel.
0: When handling Tumblr and transmedia in general, what did you keep in mind going into it and what did you learn?
6: Um, I mean, we're big users of of social media ourselves, so we went into it with a certain amount of knowledge. We're not entering completely unexplored territory. Um, But when it comes down to it, I mean, you have to think about in terms of story, who is your audience on each platform? What will they respond to? What are they looking for? What speaks to them? And if you've used that platform, you know what does and doesn't work. And then when you're thinking about Tumblr specifically, I agree with you, it is very progressive and it is very much a forward-thinking place. I mean, it's very much a place of discussion unlike a lot of other social media platforms. And sometimes that can get complicated and get out of hand. The most important thing to always remember is that you are having a discussion. You are speaking with people. And um, I just I'm super impressed on a consistent basis um, with our fan base, with our audience and their very analytical and critical thinking skills mm-hmm. um, and how they keep things in motion and how they talk about stuff. And they're just constantly analyzing and looking at things from every possible angle. And we try and keep that in mind and we
5: try and keep the conversation and the dialogue alive. Yeah, uh, a big part of that's moderating kind of what they're doing, not necessarily watching them all the time. I mean, they're not children, but just making sure that the discussion stays within the guidelines of kind of possible thought. Like you never want your uh, everyone to get caught up in the what ifs and go all the way down this dark path and then get lost. You always want to kind of keep the... What you're shaking your head.
6: <laughs> I just think it's fun for them. I think it's yeah. fun for everyone to go through the what-ifs. Yeah.
5: Did
0: you expect such a, a dedicated fan base?
6: No. I mean, jumping into this, we have been consumers of this kind of media, of, like, more traditional media for a long time, but um we didn't expect... I mean, you don't really ever expect it. You see a lot of things start on YouTube or start on any platform and think, wow, that's really amazing. Why is no one paying attention to this? So... um I'm glad that people think that our work is worth that kind of attention, but we didn't. I mean, I, I always come into things super pessimistically. Alison's always telling me to think a little bit more optimistically, but I'm I'm always surprised.
5: I mean, it's good to have that control, though, yeah. also.
0: <laughs> Talking about your expectations uh, when starting the project, how did you handle casting? Um, what did the actors know of the book and what and your changes?
6: I mean, um, casting, we're really lucky. I mean, we're all working in this industry in various capacities, so we have a little network and we can reach out to people. A lot of our actors I've either seen in other productions previously or I've heard of them or I've just simply met them, you know, and um, uh, we have done casting and auditions and cold reads when necessary, but uh, for the most part, we're lucky enough to know kind of who would fit for what,
5: and um, and that's part of. Uh, I just graduated from uh, the University of Victoria, so I've been around actors for the last four years. I've seen their work. I've seen all the monologues they could ever possibly do. So we'd just be calling from the group of people we probably knew anyway. And then I've already sort of seen their work Mm -hmm. over a long extended period of time. So it was easier for us to say, okay, we can limit to these kind of four people that we're looking at Mm -hmm. and have them come in and cold read the text and and see what they're willing to do with it or what they can bring to it.
6: Yeah. And as far as what they knew, the novel, I'm cons- I'm really impressed in, by some people in having read the novel, but then also really surprised. I didn't realize that it wasn't necessarily part of the high school curriculum in Canada. I kind of thought it was. Um, so some entered the project thinking it would be very much like Pride and Prejudice being their only real, you know, notion of what this kind of book would be. And I had to sort of take their hand and walk them through it and be like, no, it's not really like that story. It has some of the same like you know it's a period piece and there's lots of feelings but that's you know pretty much it yeah um so uh as far as getting them they have to have read or have at least known the summary of the book and what's happening especially for their arc that's kind of been their homework um but as far as adaptation i mean we sit there and we talk about things like okay so this is why we changed this and you know this corresponds with this part of the novel but like we felt in adapting this character that we had to change xyz
5: yeah, I think that was most fun when we were working with Juliet, who plays Adele. Um, and of course, she's she's what ten, so she's never
3: mm-hmm. yeah,
5: she's never uh, read the book because why would we expect a ten year old to have read Jane Eyre? Um, <laughs> and telling her what where the plot points were going to happen and what they were and where her character was going. Um, was always very amusing. Yeah. She was outraged, always. <laughs> She's a very insightful girl for yeah. her
6: age and very very witty, and her, her responses to things are really amusing. Right.
5: Yeah. She was always shaming uh, Adam, who plays her father, uh, Mr. Rochester. She was always going, what? You did what? <laughs> Why did you? What? No. Bad. She's very funny.
0: Um, jumping in on that, actually, with, with you know, with a 10 year old 11 year old as part of your cast what other logistical challenges did you face and you know what is a general what does it take to produce just one part of the show
6: um with Juliet specifically I mean she's also an actress she's someone who is she she goes to a school I believe fine arts school her parents are both in the industry and um she's grown up in that so she knows she's a professional she's sometimes more of a professional than any of us. (laughs) So she isn't, I think people are under the impression that working with a child would be more complicated, but I mean, she is a trooper. We had one episode where she was ill and she like refused to not show up. We were like, we can reschedule. And she insisted on coming to set and pulling through the day. And um, So, you know, I mean, the only thing you sort of adjust is how you tell the story to someone of that age and how you make it relatable to them. Um. And, I mean, we do some slightly different warm-ups, and we play some different, you know, games. Yeah, and, stuff, and but...
5: probably like uh, more breaks. I'd mm-hmm. say just generally uh, due to like attention span, and it's hard <laughs> material. She it has is. some of the hardest lines. She really does, because uh, we've adapted Adele to be very precocious and intelligent for mm-hmm. her age. So she has um, some challenging words to learn, and also speaks in French, despite. Never taking French immersion. Yeah. She's taken, I I think, think a French class, but, like, she hasn't been, she doesn't know French. Yeah,
6: no, She and she picks things up really quickly. Um,
0: How long does it take to, to make that? How long does it take to make, you know, six, seven minutes worth of YouTube footage?
6: It really depends on the episode itself. Some episodes will take a day on their own, and sometimes we can get through four or five episodes in a single shooting day. Um, I mean, to be involved in this project, the way we're doing it is we have to work around everyone's schedule. So we try our best to accommodate, especially our actors, who are often working multiple jobs and running back and forth between various uh, responsibilities. We have to make sure that it's something that works for everyone. Um, but as far as, you know, just getting an episode, it depends on, mostly depends on set. If we're doing, for example, we aired an episode today where they were sitting in the living room, Diana, Mary, and Jane, and they're just talking on the couch. And that takes about maybe an hour to get done, plus an hour for prep and rehearsal and maybe running lines and costumes and makeup. And, you know, if we're running on time and if my production coordinator is uh, paying attention to me and making sure that everything's on on task, um, then, yeah, we can get it done in about an hour, an hour and a half. Um, but if we're doing something more complicated, like for example, the first day we had Rochester on set with the scene with the dog and the car, that took a whole day. There was no way we got anything else done that day.
5: Yeah. I mean, if we, we've been, uh, trying a few, um, interesting kind of, uh, different I kinds guess, of yeah, locations, inventive so. things. So, uh, sometimes it takes a little bit longer when we're shooting in a bunch of different locations mm-hmm. or, Um, we're trying new things with
2: camera angles Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I would guess the episode um, I think it's Kidnapped where Jane and Rochester go on the day trip around Vancouver, I would guess that took a very long time to film
6: you know the funny, Okay, the story behind that episode is Alison actually wrote that episode because she also doubles on top of everything else she does she's also (laughs) one of the writers Um, and she wrote that episode and I looked at her and I said I hate you because I don't want to film this it's going to take (laughs) so long um, and she was
5: pretty much, everyone else pretty much agreed with her. Yes. Sinead, who uh, is, is our, our production
6: coordinator. Yeah.
5: Uh, she said, no, I, I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to schedule this episode. Mm-hmm. And I said, but do you like the episode? We and liked everyone it. really liked it. So I sort of said, you know, I don't think it's going to take as long as you think it will. Yeah. And, and she was right, unfortunately. She proved me wrong. <laughs> it
6: actually only took, I think we started the day at about 8 o'clock, and we did prep for about an hour, and then we all got into one car. So it was a very limited cruise, just um, Allison, myself, Adam, uh, Sinead, and our costume and wardrobe and design for the day, who was Jessica. Uh, and Jessica, yeah. Jessica? Yeah, Jessica Wong. Yeah. 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 And um, – and the five of us got in a car and we just drove around Vancouver for the day. And it went surprisingly fast. It was a lot of that kind of episode is just, you know, the city's gorgeous and we're lucky we have very competent actors who can improvise a line here or there when need be. And mm-hmm. and, uh, and Adam's
5: very good at driving while acting. Yes. I, that was something we discovered. <laughs> we thought that would take longer, but it didn't. He yeah. was very good at, at staying on task as well as
6: driving. I think and keeping us all alive yeah. so that was good I mean that's, yeah. that was a notice that we were <laughs> alive
5: by the
0: end of the day. When you're yeah. writing the scripts do you take in in into account the ongoing fan reaction and the ongoing feedback from the, the, the fan base?
6: I mean you're writing it a certain amount in advance so you can only do so much but um, we do like to indulge little things from time to time um, we definitely did that with Indiegogo videos um, we definitely enjoyed going through comments and seeing what people have talked about and uh, sort of catering to that. Because it's fun for us, too. Um, but as far as, like, the in-canon uh, episodes, I mean, you have to stick to it. Yeah, a our lot space. of
5: it's like, very much decided way ahead of time. Yeah. So when people send us emails or something, being like, could you do this? Yeah. Or maybe you could change this? Or I'm worried about this plot yeah. point. We're sort of like, well... well
6: we've already filmed that, so... Don't
5: worry. <laughs> it'll be fine.
0: <laughs> okay, and what's next? What What do you want... Once g is is finished, what do you want mm-hmm. to do
6: next? Um, well, we're kind of keeping things under wraps for the moment. What I can say is that a good portion of the group that's worked on this project is interested in working on another project, and that Alison and I at least have some fairly interesting plans for the future. Um, I've, my official party line has been, things will occur. <laughs> which is very vague. <laughs> I feel terrible about it, but um, mostly we're just trying to keep it a, f- a little surprise. Um, I would say keep an eye on us at VidCon, and hopefully we'll have something to announce. Mm-hmm.
5: And part of that is just end. that like our writers are still writing for this show, mm-hmm. so it would be unfair of us to say, hey, we have interesting ideas, beginnings of of threads, yeah. what do you think, where do you want to take this yeah. when they're still focusing on this? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah we have some preliminary ideas but who knows what that will turn into when we take it to the writers
0: would it be something that i might be able to find on my bookshelf already
5: uh, some of it mm-hmm. and some of it no Ooh. that's
6: what i'm i know i'm sorry that's a terrible <laughs> answer but, but it's the best i can give you at the moment <laughs>
0: finally if you don't mind just to just to polish off some uh, quick fire questions
3: sure. uh,
0: two very silly ones actually uh firstly Simpsons or Futurama? Uh,
3: Futurama for me. Really? Yes. A Simpsons. Okay. Oh well. <laughs> I'm judging you. Okay.
0: <laughs> and last question:
6: Truth or Beauty? I'm sorry. Truth or Beauty?
2: Yes. Truth. True. Yeah. No, yeah. oh, mm. oh, I'm going
1: put the beauty. <laughs> <laughs> Embrace the alternative. This. this. Is Fab Radio International,
0: and that was the lovely Jane Aust- autobiography of the Jane Eyre girls. And you should check out Calamity Productions on the internet. Um, coming up next, we talk to Francis Harding in a broom cupboard in
1: Manchester. This is Fab Radio International.
0: This is my interview with Francis Harding in a. Busy bar in Manchester, so you'll forgive the sound. Please, just a, it's a little bit quirky, but you should be able to enjoy it. And please remember that we are during the entire interview. We are slightly concerned <laughs> that we might starve to death. With Welcome
4: to the Bookworm, Francis Harding. Say hello. Hello. So, um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
7: Um, I'm a a writer of children's and young adult fiction. In fact, people are not particularly certain where to file me most of the time. Um, I've been writing professionally since about 2005, and nobody is yet making me stop and do a real job.
4: So, can you tell us a bit about your latest book, which is just coming out, Cuckoo Song?
7: Certainly. My latest book is set in the 1920s, and is rather different from a lot of the the books that that, um, preceded it. I'm one of these peculiar people who loathes whatever book they've just been working on and runs off to do something completely different. In this case, I'm writing a book set in about 1923 with strong supernatural elements and an 11-year-old heroine who, while recovering from an illness, becomes increasingly certain that something is terribly wrong. Eventually she comes to the conclusion that she's not exactly who she thinks she is. In fact, she's not even what she thinks she is.
4: How different is it from writing young adult fiction to children's fiction? What are the changes?
7: Uh, in my case, none. Um, I have been writing a, a number of books that some people class as children's books and other people class as, um, as YA. It's rather interesting walking to bookshops and finding out where they've put me. Certainly the, the book that succeeds this one will have a 14-year-old heroine, so that will be a, a, little, a little more decidedly YA. But at the moment, I write for a 12-year-old me, and as it turns out, uh, a lot of teenagers and in fact adults read my books.
4: What do you think is the appeal of young adult fiction to adults who are definitely not young?
7: Well, I don't dumb down. Uh, I have a lot of respect for my younger readers, so I don't I don't dumb down the language all that much. I like I like to play with language and actually a lot of my younger readers seem to quite appreciate that. Um I also believe that they can cope with quite twisty turny plots. Um, and I and I also believe that they can deal with some quite dark themes. Most of my books have a body count, particularly the third one.
4: Has there been a change in culture when it comes to people's approach to young adult fiction?
7: I think there has, I'm certainly I think when I was uh, when I was initially published, I wasn't as aware of it as a well as as a separate thriving uh, genre of the of the, the strength and size that we see now. So I think it's something else, it's become larger, it's become respected to a much greater degree. And I think people are more open to to the experiments that can be made within that, to the idea that you can take that darker and stronger, and that in fact younger readers won't shatter into hundreds of tiny little pieces.
4: What advice would you have for anyone who is trying to get into publishing?
7: Um, Well, I can only speak from the point of view of an author. Uh, The main thing I recommend is obstinacy. I think that's probably a given. I'd I'd also recommend, if if they're planning to become a writer, they should write. Uh, This should be extremely obvious, but I meet a lot of aspiring writers who haven't actually got round to the writing bit yet, and it turns out that bit's quite important.
4: What is your process? How do you start? How easy or difficult is it for you to produce a book?
7: Um, It's hard. Uh, um, I know that there are some authors who are fantastically organised and always get up at six in the morning and write exactly the same amount for the same hours each day, and um, I envy them. I am not one of them. I function on panic and caffeine. I am fortunate enough to belong to two different writing groups, both of which meet, generally speaking, weekly, sometimes fortnightly, and which provide me not only with um, with feedback, but with a deadline. If I if I haven't written anything in time for for the session, there are friends of mine who will know and who will point and laugh.
4: What's your next big project?
7: At the moment, I'm as I say writing on a writing a YA book. This is set in the Victorian period, about 1865, and again has supernatural elements. Um. I'm looking at a lot of the Victorian attitudes towards death at the moment, at the risk of sounding a little morbid, um, most of which were entirely fascinating. For instance, before I started researching this, I was largely unaware of post-mortem photography.
4: Is there a particular franchise or someone else's world that inspires you, and would you want to write in that world?
7: Oh, difficult question. I mean, as to books or other worlds that have inspired me, um, at the risk of being really boring I have always loved Alice in Wonderland um, I, it's the fact that this this book was written about 150 years ago and it's still weird it, It's um, people still haven't equaled anything quite like that for surrealism and um, subversiveness um, whether I'd like to write within that world I don't think it's possible I don't think you really can unless you're Lewis Carroll
4: If you were trapped on a desert island and you only had one book for company what would it be?
7: Um, I would want it to be something large enough that I could use it as a raft.
4: And and what sort of things uh, inspire you, what sort of things start you in the day, and how does that influence your work?
7: Um, I am somebody who is generally happiest when they're on the move. Therefore, I am very aware that sitting for eight hours in front of a computer does not work for me. I have to get out, sometimes I'll go to the gym. And um, um, providing my subconscious doesn't come up with excellent reasons why I shouldn't. Uh, I love hiking. I'm lucky enough to be in Isleware so I can um, walk off to Richmond Park and look at deer. Um, the things that inspire me most tend to be visiting new places, particularly travelling abroad in, in countries that shake up my ideas and force me to reassemble them in new shapes. I am a great believer in culture shock as an inspirational force.
4: If someone was getting into your work, where would you recommend they start?
7: It very much depends what they're into. As I say, a lot of my books are extremely different from each other. If they're more comfortable with something a little more contemporary, and perhaps recognisable, then I'd suggest that they start with Verdigris Deep, which would then gently ease them into the psychological horror. Um, if they prefer whimsy and humour, I'd suggest that they start with Fly By Night, which would then gently ease them into um, The Murders and Mayhem and revolution. If they like things that are unrelentingly weird, I suggest they start with an a, a face like glass, which doesn't do anything gently, it's just relentlessly weird. Um, if they have uh, an interest in historical, Fly By Night would do, or the current book. It's possible that in some respects, the most accessible may be the book that is just coming out Cuckoo science.:
4: Why are so many writers fantasy
7: gamers of some description? Well, it shouldn't be a particular surprise, given that role-playing is a creative hobby. It's a creative and social hobby. It is for people who like creating stories, albeit in a role-playing game, collaboratively, and having those stories enjoyed. It shouldn't be remotely surprising that some of those people are then happy to go away and create stories that they then want to share with a wider audience.
4: And just three very silly, quick-fire questions. Uh, firstly, Simpsons or Futurama? Simpsons. Vampires or werewolves?
7: Werewolves. I've been out. Van- I've been vampired out
4: and finally truth or beauty truth Frances Harding. thank
7: you very much thank you very much how do we get out of here
1: across the world 24 hours a day International
0: And that was Frances Hardy and she was completely lovely um, and I think we now have to run away uh,
7: um,
2: Yeah, pretty much so we, We're going to be back live next week
0: We'll be, ba- we'll be back live Ooh, know, exciting Probably live no. Because you might have realised that this is a pre-record. Oh my god! Oh my god! Total illusion. I'm a hologram. <laughs> I'm all in the matrix. No, 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 no yeah. all that nonsense. Um, talking about stuff and quite possibly things. So um, it's goodbye for me. I've been your homestead fortune for what a year's worth of boot nonsense, and I'll speak to you next week. Uh, you can find us on social media Radio on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr you can find us on Mixcloud, you can find us on iTunes please go on to our iTunes via the Starburst website, you can find us in, under the podcast section and it would be utterly lovely if you made a comment even if the comment is nah, yeah, yeah. We, we don't really mind, just just comment please, so it's goodbye for me Ed Fortune
2: Fab radio you have been listening to the Bookworm on Fab Radio International, who can be found on Twitter, on Facebook, and via the Internet. This is The Bookworm, we on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Mixcloud and iTunes. Please like, subscribe and follow for our updates. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune, Nympha Hayes, Cy Lloyd, Rebecca Derrick and Russell Smith. Produced by A.L. Johnson.